thread, a singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to EmergeNetwork.org. Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley, and welcome back to Thread, and we're now in episode 13. Um, This one is about being judged because of your new wine ministry and your new wine lifestyle, your liberty in the Lord, and how that eventually somebody's going to judge you for these things. So uh, get your Bible and open it to Mark chapter 3. We're going to today be looking verse 20. Through 35, and uh, I'm really enjoying doing these threads. We're getting good comments back. I want to say uh, thanks to Marsha for a comment that she posted, and to others. You can you can uh, always listen to the thread on Quinley.com site. It's also on the EmergeNetwork.org site, or you can find us on iTunes by just typing in Quinley in the search engine, and it'll go right to us. So get your Bibles, and we'll be right back. Today we're in Mark chapter 3, verse 20 through 35 on the subject of being judged in your ministry. Um, I had a, a quote early as a Christian, because, uh, this, and this was an important quote for me, because I, I really struggled as a teenager. I was raised in church, and I, I struggled because I, I was introverted and I needed my friends, the friends I had, and as I got all warm toward the Lord, it was just the same time that they were getting all into drugs and wanting to try worldly things. And it was always a battle for me about losing my friends. And I was unsuccessful as a Christian on many attempts. And then finally, when I was 18, I just crossed the bridge and it didn't matter to me if nobody went with me. I was going to do it on my own and do it with all my heart. And I found this quotation and it said, I find that the closer I walk with Christ, the fewer of my friends will walk with me. I find the closer I walk with Christ, the fewer of my friends will walk with me. And um, maybe that relates to what we're talking about today. Um, This, the ministry circumstances of Jesus in this year, you know, he's just wildly popular. No one's ever heard of him before. He bursts on the scenes uh, in the temple, and now he is growing in popularity throughout the nation. Uh, people are coming out uh, on foot, on you know mules, and as a whole families are coming by the thousands. And uh, it's, it's really, be- crowds are becoming an issue for him. And, you know, in the last uh, thread in the verses before this, Jesus has to come up with a, a, a strategy for dealing with being crushed by crowds. And so uh, he's dealing with the multitudes. On verse 20, it says that he had so much overload in his ministry, they didn't even have time to eat bread. Uh, it was starting to wear on him and on the disciples. And his own people, and this is his family from Nazareth, his own people heard about this, and they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, he is out of his mind. Now, uh, you know, hear the tone in their voice. They are concerned about him, but they are also scornful 
of him. You know, who does he think he is? He should stay home with us. These are provincial people. They live in a very small town, and uh, it's an important town where Jesus was raised. It was a crossroads, but it wasn't a huge place. And these people are used to their little world, and people who go outside that little world are a little bit disloyal, you know, in most communities. If you leave for the big city, there's a little bit of uh, abandonment that people feel. And, and, you know, now Jesus has become this national figure, and his own family, they're, you know, they're not so sure how they feel about it. Most of them don't believe. Mary believes, but the brothers of Jesus don't believe, and he actually has a, a sort of a running dialogue of tension with his own half-brothers. And so they've gone to get him, and uh, and that happens uh, in other places in the Gospels also, where his family comes to interrupt him. Uh, when uh, Look at verse 22. Not only was his family giving him grief over it, the scribes who came down from Jerusalem. Now, this is a long journey. So these guys have come on official business to judge him, basically. Uh, when the scribes had come down, they said, he has Beelzebub. It's by the rule. In other words, he's demon possessed. That's his secret. The way that he's casting out these demons is that he has a demon. A great demon is in him, giving him all these powers. Because he's breaking all of our rules. He didn't go to our school. He hasn't uh, passed through any of our accreditation processes. He's going outside the system. So he must be a rebel. And he's not uh, following every tiny little regulation that we have. And, you know, our regulations are really important. And he's not listening to us, and he doesn't bow to us and and call us doctor and you know bishop when when we walk up. He doesn't give give the place and tell us that we should now speak to the people. How you know unworthy is he? And we should be the because that's what they would have done. And no, here's Jesus, and he's standing in his own authority, and he's ministering, and he's ministering with power. And demons are coming out and eyes are being opened and people are being healed in many ways. And they have to explain how he does it. They can't believe he's from God um, just because of their blindness and their prejudice. So they've got to find another explanation. If it's not God, then who is it? So their explanation is, ah, theologically, we believe he has Beelzebub. He has the prince of all the demons. And by the ruler of demons, he can now cast out demons. And uh, and look at what Jesus does in verse 23. It says, he called them. Now, he's in a crowd. He's in a public crowd. They're over there making their side comments. Uh, you know, his secret is demonization. And so he stops what he's doing, and he calls them. And something interesting about Jesus and critics, he never avoids engaging his critics directly. He would rather address them directly, even in public, than to just let it sputter around him and constantly. You know, you can't stop them from whispering, but sometimes you need to address the gossip. You need to address what's being said. You don't have to address it every time because that might make you look defensive. But at this point, uh, they have uh, they're crossing a line. They're starting to call the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, a ministry of demons. 
And he calls them, now notice, he doesn't call them to lash back at them. He calls them out of love for them. You know, a lot of people would call them out of concern for their own reputation or out of concern for their ministry that they're all invested in the name of this ministry. And now my ministry is being questioned. Uh, In Jesus' case, it seems pretty clear that he calls them for their benefit. And he calls them for the sake of the movement because these men are doing things that will affect the movement, or at least it could. And he wants to deal with it. So he reasons with them. They are theologians. So he reasons with them spiritually. He says, okay, verse 23, um, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. If Satan has risen up against himself, then he's divided. He can't stand. He's come to an end. So he's showing them the fallacy in their in their argument. You know, why would Satan destroy his own kingdom? It's good news if that's what's happening, because it means the kingdom of Satan is about to fall apart because there's infighting uh, among the demons. And then he talks to them uh, about what's really happening. He says, no, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods, which is what Jesus is doing unless he can first bind the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Someone has to, in order for demons to come out, and in order for Satan's prisoners to go free, it doesn't just happen. Someone has to go and bind up the demon and let these people go. It's a ministry of power against the darkness to let people go free. So God help us all as we go out to set people free from the power of demons. But then he talks about something that's really uh, of importance to Christians. And uh, I've met a lot of people that have a, um, a fear that they have, it's the unpardonable sin, and a fear that they have committed the unpardonable sin because they said something or they thought something, and now you know their conscience condemns them and the devil's using it, and they're just so scared that you know they're damned forever because they they have said something in a joking way or in anger. Well, let's look at it, because I think you're going to see, well, let's just read it. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven to the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but he's subject to eternal condemnation. Verse 30 is an explanatory verse. It says, he said it because they had said he has an unclean spirit. Um, If you look at this and if you think about it carefully, it does not seem that Christ is addressing a word that has been spoken. I think we could better call this the unpardonable attitude. The unpardonable attitude. It's a hardness of heart against God. It's a, it's a belligerence against the Holy Spirit of God who comes down to heal and to set people free and to reveal things. And instead of receiving this revelation and humbling yourself and accepting it, you find all kinds of arguments and you speak against it and you mouth off. And these people have hardened attitudes against the good work of God. 
And so he tells them, if you stay like this, you keep blaspheming because they already they've already blasphemed. You keep blaspheme means um, blaspheme to speak in order to injure. Okay, you're speaking against something to in order to hurt it. And they were speaking against Jesus all the time, and they were speaking against his people all the time, and now they're speaking against the power that he uses, also speaking against that. So they've already blasphemed, and he doesn't say, oops, you've messed up forever, you blasphemed, there's no salvation for you. He's warning them not to keep this up. If you keep yourself like you are right now, there's no way to find forgiveness. There won't be forgiveness because the only way that we come to the Lord is through repentance. We don't just come and receive forgiveness. You come and repent and then you receive forgiveness. And the only reason that we repent is because the Holy Spirit brings conviction on us and he brings what's called prevenient grace. He gives you the grace to believe, the grace to repent, the grace to turn. He comes to you first. He softens your heart. He makes you feel bad for what you've done. Then he gives you a sense of hope that it can be different for you now. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's the only door to salvation is that you listen to and cooperate with that work. So when you stand against the Holy Spirit and harden your heart against the Holy Spirit, there's not another... There's not another avenue for salvation. You just fought off the only one that there is. And so he warns against this judgmental spirit against things of God, this spirit that can regard good things as evil and evil things as good, because these scribes have repeatedly witnessed the deeds of Jesus. They have often heard his teachings, but their willfulness has blinded them. They have hardened their heart against the truth. And uh, this is a choice of, uh, of the will. And they're going to come to a place that they will be so insensitive spiritually that the Holy Spirit can scream and yell, and they are not going to hear it. And he's warning them against the callousness in their attitude toward God. And it's, a, it's an important warning to heed. Let's go to verse 31. Now his family has come to get him, and they are standing outside his meeting. Again, they stand outside. They're not willing to enter in. They're not willing to come under him. They're not willing to sit there and listen to his teaching. And then when it's over, you know, voice their concerns about what's going on with him. They come there and interrupt his teaching. And they call him to leave his ministry and basically submit to them. You stop and come outside to us. We're family. And uh, Jesus surprises them. They're, they're fully expecting him to jump up and bow down under family, that he submits to family. But he doesn't. And he has a, an interesting perspective. He answers them. Someone says, uh, look, your mother and your brothers are outside and they want you to go out. And he answers those people and he says, and who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he looks around a circle of those who are sitting about him. And he said, 
Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now, this is a huge concept. His relational core was determined by spiritual family, not blood relationships. He understood that his family had been given him by God and he was taking care of his family. He had done the very best. He had done his duty to his blood kin. He had been rejected by his blood kin at Nazareth. They would not follow him as the Savior because that's what he came to be. And the Lord has given him more family. And and I have found this. I have a wonderful family because they're believers. But I have actually been addressed by different members of my family for taking my six children and raising them in one of the most dangerous cities in the world, which is Manila. It's the kidnap and murder capital of Asia. And we've had a lot of near misses also. But that was my calling in the Lord. It's it's what I'm supposed to do with my life. And the counsel that I received was not a counsel born of prayer. It was just an opinion of a family member, kind of a, an opinionated family member and uh, a huffy opinion. And you have to draw some lines. Uh, the beauty of the Lord is he will give you relationships. We all need relationships. But if the relationships around you are pulling you down, they are crippling you. They are keeping you from moving ahead in the things of God. Then you need to make a little space with those relationships because God will give you other family. The family of God is amazing. And I'm blessed because my blood kin is also my spiritual. They're also my spiritual kin. But there is a there are a lot of people that don't have that blessing. They fight against family members that would love to see them fail. And on the one hand, we continue to love our family. We continue to minister to our family. But in a lot of family circumstances, it, this is not going to be an equal relationship. You know, they're not going to minister back to you. They're going to take. It's going to be a one sided relationship. And that's kind of what ministry is. You know, it's a one-sided relationship. I'm here to minister to you. Well, you can't do that forever unless someone puts it back, you know, puts ministry back into your life. And it won't always be your blood family. But that doesn't mean you don't have family. God will give those who follow God wholly are going to be persecuted. They're going to, they're going to find pressure. They're going to be judged at times. And that's what this passage is about. But you're going to need some honoring relationships that will strengthen you to bear up. And for this reason, God is going to give you some beautiful family members. He'll give you mothers and brothers and sisters, and uh, and it's in the family of God. And I have such beautiful relationships. They're all over the world with people of every skin color. But they are my family, and they speak into my life. I speak into theirs. We love each other. We encourage each other. We sacrifice for each other. We can't wait to see each other. And it's the family of God. The Lord is has given Jesus more family. And the Bible talks about the women that traveled with him, cooking for him and ministering to his needs. You know, God gave him... Uh, those sisters in his life that looked up, you know, looked up to him and they took care of him. 
So we have an opportunity. If we'll obey God the way Jesus obeys the Father, then we get to be also his brothers and his sisters today. So today we celebrate the family of God, and we recognize that in our spiritual journey, we are going to at times come under criticism and judgment. And, you know, sometimes people uh, get into the spiritual community of the church who are not yet disciples of Jesus, like these scribes. They're messed up spiritually. They're not right. And yet there they are in the church. Uh, they don't even recognize how wrong they are. They may say words that discourage you. They may judge you. They may criticize you. Just understand, these are the scribes. You know, love them, engage them if you can without it getting bigger. But even in the even in a church that you might say, well, you know, some people in this church have really hurt me. Yeah, and what about the other ones? Because if you look through there, there's some beautiful people in every fellowship. God will give you mothers and brothers and sisters, and they will take care of you, and and there'll be people that you can lean on. So, you know, there's going to be some pain in ministry. There's going to be some times when people judge your life and they don't judge you favorably. But God has also given you the chance to have other people in your life, and they will build you up and hold you up. Well, God bless you, my brothers and my sisters of Jesus. Uh, don't forget to check us out, Quinley.com, my personal blog, and also EmergeNetwork.org for your spiritual feedings. That's all for now. We'll see you next time on Thread. Thread, a singular thought expanded upon. Thread is the podcast of the Emerge Network. For more information, log on to EmergeNetwork.org.